Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. Welcome to a new episode of the Thrive Podcast. Today I have a very, very interesting uh, woman here with me. Her name is Kate Kayayan. She's a professional cellist who travels around the world to play concerts with some of the most renowned orchestras and ensembles, such as the Grammy-nominated group Boston Modern Orchestra Project, and has had the honor of working with the world's most esteemed conductors and proponents of contemporary music. As a strong advocate for new music, Kate works closely with today's leading composers, is a director of chamber music for the Boston Youth Symphony Orchestras, and maintains an active studio of private students and coaching clients from around the globe. She's also on the strings faculty of the Bermuda School of Music in Hamilton, Bermuda, where she lives with her husband and shares her passion on her personal blog, Tales from the Lane. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Kate. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Olga. It's a thrill. Yeah, and I'm so excited to have you because when I got to know about your story, I already had a friend of mine in mind. And um, I'm very excited, you know, to share your story because I hope that it will inspire especially the people who are, you know, into artistry, into music, into those kind of, if you want to say like softer things that are not considered, you know, the classical career path to follow. And so I hope in <laughs> hearing your story today that, you know, they, they will get courage to go, uh, pr- like really cur- encouraged into that direction. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you, di- you didn't go straight from, you know, uh, childhood to becoming a professional cellist, right? <laughs> um, well, well, I sort of did, but I took a detour. Yeah. No, but so that's what I, I mean. It's it's not yeah. like, oh, you, you were born and then you were, you know, always just super great at playing the cello and then directly you, you, you got to become a professional. So actually, before we go into your story, I wanted to ask you, you know, like, what what is your life looking now? Like, what does it feel like for you at the moment, having achieved probably one of your biggest dreams? Uh, it's it's both like a dream come true. I mean, I wake up and I feel so grateful that I get to live the life that I do. It's so beautiful here in Bermuda. Um, and I'm playing the concerts I want to play and I, um, I get to do what I want. And, uh, that is a dream come true. At the same time, I've never worked harder than I am right now. Yeah. So I think before I was working longer hours. I, mm-hmm. you know, was working seven days a week wow. and I was just working from sunup to way past sundown. Mm. But it, nothing was really challenging. It was just sort of filling up hours. Mm. And now I, I have a little bit more free time to 
spend with friends and family and enjoy my life a little bit. But when I'm working, it's really intense and really everything is challenging. And when you shift careers and shift directions, you're doing everything for the first time, yeah. <laughs> which, which I hadn't done in a long time. So, but I'm enjoying the challenge. That's nice. And so actually, how did your story start? <laughs> well, I think there are two parts to the story. Do you want the actual start or the, the second start? No, let's start with the actual. I mean, like, the, you know, do you, do you come from a musical family or how did you even get started on this? Oh, well, both of my parents loved music. My dad loved mm -hmm. to sing. My mom played the piano. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it was important to both of them that my brother and I have some start in, mm -hmm. in music from when we were kids. Uh, so when I was five, my mom took me to some friend's house and the daughter played the violin and piano for me and the son played the cello. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, I mean, as the story goes, I had a huge crush on the, on the boy. So <laughs> <laughs> that's some cello. inspiration or motivation. It had to be the cello. <laughs> I had to play the same one as him. Right. Um, I mean, I was five. What did I know? But, um, yeah, so I, I started on cello and I, I grew to really love it. Of course, I hated practicing as a kid, as, mm -hmm. as all kids do. Nobody wants to be by themselves drilling things over and over again. So, um, But once I got through that as a teenager, I knew that I wanted to go into music. And uh, yeah, my parents were very supportive. I think with my friends and, and the people that we knew, a lot of them were professional musicians. A lot of my friends' parents were professional musicians. Hmm. All of my friends were going to music school. As we say, it wasn't, are you going to go into music? It was, which music school are you going to go to? Okay. So it was just kind of normal. It's just mm. what we did. And so back then, or even maybe also later when you, when you get were in music school I mean has it ever appeared to you as a like a possible or tangible goal to really become you know a professional because one thing is maybe to become a music teacher or do something on that level but for me really it's like a totally different level to you know play or with orchestras all over the world with like I mentioned Grammy nominated groups and uh, composers so has this ever really been like a, a real a realistic goal for you? Uh, yeah, I think naively so. I, my, I grew up in this corner of Chicago where my, my friends were winning major competitions and, mm -hmm. and um, studying with the great string soloists and pedagogues of, mm -hmm. of the time. And uh, it just seemed normal. Like, yeah, we can all go do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the path I, I started out on. And I went to the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston and had great teachers and great training. And I went on to win a fellowship with the New World Symphony mm. in Miami, Miami, Florida. And, and that was fantastic. And then, then I kind of got lulled out of that path mm -hmm. and kind of took some detours. And so, yeah, I was, I, I would say I was expecting it. And then maybe, I don't know if it was out of fear of, I can't really do this, or there are so many people who are better than me. Mm. Um, or I don't deserve to do this, or I don't, who knows what, what got in the way, or maybe it was just, gee, it seems nice to, to take this job, mm. even though it means staying in Boston year round and not traveling as much. And, and, um, so what, you know, when you're, what was the detour? 
it was not just one. It was a bunch of decisions. I think that's how it often happens for people. Mm -hmm. You just one little thing and you do another little thing. So first it was um, a really enticing uh, offer to to run the chamber music program at a youth orchestra in Boston. Mm -hmm. And but that meant that I had to be there every Sunday and I had to stay in Boston. And uh, since I had this job and I was going to be in Boston all the time, so I bought a condo. But then I had a mortgage and, you know, you can't take as many risks when you <laughs> have a mortgage to pay every month. And uh, and then, you know, How I was friends. Then? I was 25. 25. Yeah, 24, 25. Yeah, I think having having like a mortgage, probably also some some, you know, debts from education, college, etc. It's like huge, like worry one at, at that age I mean at any age probably right. but especially when you're starting out and you just have so much ahead still right exactly and I was lucky I didn't have student debt and um, okay but I did I did have the mortgage and it you know it when you're 24 25 you think oh this is just temporary and I'll just get back to that later you you feel yeah. like you have all the time in the world and you know fast forward 10 12 years and uh, I realized I I had never managed to get out of that. Hmm. I was still, you know, one position teaching at one program led to another great position teaching at another. And I was good at it. And it was, it came easily to me. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed it. I don't remember ever being deeply unhappy about the work I was doing. Mm -hmm. It was more that at some point I realized that it wasn't the work I was supposed to be doing. Well, and it wasn't the work that it wasn't the work that I really wanted to be doing. I wanted to be making more of an impact and reaching a wider audience. And I wanted to be playing solo repertoire and I wanted to be getting up on stage more. And uh, yeah, I didn't want to be sitting in the back of the cello section all of the time. Mm -hmm. I still do. I have friends. I, I still play with beam up and And that's great. I love it. Um, but I didn't want to only do that anymore. And was there any like specific moment where you realized like, man, I've got, you know, I, I want more. I've got more to offer. Like, was there a specific moment of like this classical epiphany that you had or? How, yeah, how I did sure you, did. How was that? So at, uh, I was teaching at a very well-known um, private school, high school, mm -hmm. and they have a big tradition of uh, when a teacher retires from that school, mm -hmm. they, it's a big production, and it's really moving, and it's a wonderful tradition, and it's different for every teacher. And some of my colleagues were talking about what they would do for me, right? So they're thinking, you know, when I'm... 35 years from now, when you retire, this is what we would do for you. And I realized that if I, as much as I loved that place, I loved my job, I loved my students, I loved my colleagues, it was a wonderful job. Mm -hmm. But if I retired from that job, I knew that I would be deeply disappointed in myself because I would be looking at my 65-year-old self thinking, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that's, that's really what did it for me. And I thought, well, if I'm not supposed to be doing it forever, why am I doing it now? 
Mm-hmm. And made me really think about the situation. I just, I was getting married that year and um, my husband was already in Bermuda. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew that I had about a year's worth of projects that I wanted to to continue and to mm-hmm. finish. Wanted to wrap things up with my students for one more year. Mm-hmm. But I, at that point, I sort of gave myself that timeline of, mm-hmm. okay, one more year to graciously make my exit from this and put things in place for what comes after and make the break. Wow. Yeah. And it's a big moment. How how did you feel after you had made that decision for you, like internally? Oh, a mixture of relief and terrified, I think. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, as you would expect, of you, you finally get a little bit more clarity yeah. of, okay, at least I know what I don't want, which yeah. is this particular kind of clarity. It's a good place to start. Um, it's like with relief. A, it's like with a, with a relationship, you know, I feel like sometimes when we hang on too long and we know deep inside, it's not what we right. want, but then we can convince ourselves like just, you know, it's going to work out. But then when it comes, when the, inevitable moment comes of like breaking up and you feel this relief like for me this is always like okay you know definitely this has been the right decision right absolutely well it's like when you when you first start dating this person who you know is not right for you you say well it's better than staying home alone right (laughs) and then you get to the point where you're dating them and you're like actually I'd rather stay home alone (laughs) (laughs) that's when you know that's when you know so yeah it's a little bit and what do you think has has kept you like in you know i mean it's it's not like the the classical let's say corporate lane um but like probably comparable to most of us other <laughs> normal people who <laughs> who go work in a company like what what made you stick out so long for like 10 12 years in that path comfort familiarity mm. the nice the regular paycheck the um the routine of it You know, it's easy to say in hindsight, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I did that so long. Mm -hmm. But really, when you're in it, it's just you're so involved in the day to day of getting through your to do list of getting Mm -hmm. through that week's task or that next project or and then the next project and then the next project. You're busy. You're doing things. You're Mm -hmm. involved. Um, So I think it it takes a big push to get you out of that. And what 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 would you maybe recommend people who are actually you know I take my friend because she plays she plays the piano and I can you know I can see that every time when she talks about it like her eyes just like start glowing right but so she has this corporate job and like you say it's like this comfort this regular payment and and stuff like that and for you I mean having the the opportunity to grow up in an environment where this seems like pretty normal to go after a career in music, right? What would you maybe recommend to people who, you know, who are doing the nine to five, the regular nine to five, but really deep inside, they have this desire. They know that this is actually what they want. What would you recommend to them, you know, what to pay attention to or how to uh, go about it to slowly, maybe, but surely escape this, this path that, you really know deep inside is not for you. Right. Uh, 
I think it depends a certain extent if it's something that you had done before. Like if you were really into photography and you minored in photography in college or you you took some photography courses, I would say start with those old contacts, get back in touch with them, get get into that world again, even if it's just in your personal time mm-hmm. and live part of your life as a photographer. Mm-hmm. Right. So even if give yourself maybe a I don't like giving myself strict timelines because, well, what if if you don't you get know. to where you want to be? And, and yeah, you don't know if it's going to take a year or two years or a year and a half. But mm-hmm. give yourself sort of a kind of a broad amount of time and just say, OK, I'm going to increase my the number of hours in every day that I live as this person. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're reading photography books or you start following photographers that you like on Instagram, just incorporate it more into your life. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you save up to take a, a two week long photography course in the summer in Tuscany. Mm-hmm. All right. Or um, start giving yourself these opportunities to really study with the best and to get the training mm-hmm. that you need. Um, because you can sit at home and fiddle with the camera all you want, mm-hmm. but get great training and those will be your connections and part of networking and they'll mm-hmm. open doors for you. And yeah, slowly but surely you'll know, I think when it's time to leap. Mm. So was that actually the moment when you were thinking about the retirement? Was that the moment, you know, it was time to leap or was that just the moment where you knew this is not what I want to continue? Like, was that the same moment or were there different moments? No, that was the big moment that I knew that I was going to have to take a leap. Mm. And what was the moment where you, you know, knew like now is the time to leap and like move forward? Well, um, luckily I was, you know, it was a school program, so it was structured on a year. It's not like a corporation where you can leave whenever, (laughs) you know, it doesn't matter. Um, So I gave myself that next school year. And in that year that I was still at the school, I was married at that point and living separately. My husband was in Bermuda. I was in Boston. And I kind of mapped out like, okay, if I'm going to be just a performer, Mm -hmm. what things do I need to have in place? Mm. And of course, I needed to get my playing back up to a much higher level. I needed to practice a lot. Um, I figured having a CD would set me apart from just being your average freelancer mm-hmm. uh, and a website I needed for presenters to have something to look at as I pitched myself. Yeah. Right. So I started putting together a website. I had a friend who was going to help me build it. Mm-hmm. He was very good at it and he offered to help. So I was working with him on it. At the end of the day, he got a new job and got really busy before he even really started it. So I had the material in place and that was it. Um, and so I just figured it out on my own because yeah. I didn't have any money to put towards it. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, that was a good challenge. So anyway, I thought through those things that, okay, when, when I leap, mm-hmm. what are the things that I have to have in place? Mm. And I just spent that year working on getting those things. So I would get to school at, 5 30 six o'clock in the morning and wow. practice before I started teaching and before you know get to rehearsals early stay after rehearsals 
um, I was teaching. I mean, I had like three full-time jobs at the time, but oh my I God. kind of figured out how to, how to find some more practice time. I had to relearn how to practice mm. because I was very much in the mode of, as a freelancer, you, you get a stack of music, you know, mm-hmm. two inches thick. And the first rehearsal is in five days. Oh, wow. So you just have to sort of sketch it, learn it, learn it quickly. And that's it. And, you know, it's more of a performer, solo performer. You you really have to have it in your blood. You have to know it better than you can imagine knowing anything. And so that's a different kind of work. Yeah. Um, so I had to figure that out again. And and mm-hmm. when 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 was that moment of leaping then? Of leaping. So it was uh, when I, I guess, officially moved to to Bermuda. Really? I mean. Yeah. I mean, I still had some of my students and some of my jobs, playing jobs, orchestra jobs and such in, in Boston. Mm-hmm. And so I was still flying back and forth. It's a very quick flight between mm-hmm. the two, luckily. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I, I knew that going to Bermuda where I had no work, now yeah. I'm teaching a little bit, but then I, I had nothing and I was just going to be home. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was going to have lots of time to practice and time to finish my website. And I started a blog and um, just started to book some concerts and piece things together bit by bit. And how, how was that feeling when, when you left that job? Like, I don't know, your, your last day, what was going on through your mind? Because like, like you said, you, you didn't have anything yet. As I understand, mm-hmm. you were doing those freelancing things, but nothing, mm-hmm. you know, nothing like regular or something like that. So right. what was going on in your mind when, when you know, you left that that uh, that building or that job? Uh, I think I trusted in the, the idea that if, if I had to make it work, I would make it work. Mm. I was going to need I was going to need some income. Mm hmm and pride mm-hmm. right i left this wonderful job and these wonderful people in this great cushy situation that most people would die to have that yeah. job if i was going to leave that in order to have more of a performance career then well i needed to go have a performance career mm-hmm. i couldn't fall flat so um yeah i think it was the expectations that i put on myself and that i felt that other people then had for me that kept me going like well I said I was gonna do it gotta do it now (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I'm I'm just like you know like trying to to you know put myself into your shoes like and I know for so many people and I include myself completely like that like taking that leap of faith requires so much courage and self-belief in my opinion What do you think has contributed most to you having this maybe conviction or self-belief that, you know, I know I'm going to do this. I know, you know, I, I will be able to make this happen. Uh, I think it might sound a little bit morbid, but I mean, we're all going to die sometime, right? Yeah. Like, so, so I find myself, sort of thinking of myself in my generation of, of my peers of yeah. the people in in the world right now mm-hmm. 
And if I start to get concerned over what they think of me or what I'm doing, it's like, well, you know, in a hundred years, none of us are still going to be around. So really, I might as well just do what I want. I love that. Right. I mean, it's not going to go down in the history books. There was this woman, Kate Kayan, who tried to make a career and failed miserably. Like nobody's going to care right? either way. Um, so you, you just have to do what you want. You just have to stop listening to any naysayers. I mean, advice is good. If I would, I would hate it if everybody came up to me and just lavished mm. praise on me, no matter how badly I played. I expect there to be some people in my life who will say, Kate, you're a great cellist, but that, that wasn't good. <laughs> you, know, that, you need to work on that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, except for those trusted few, don't, don't listen to people who are saying you can't do it because that's coming from their own fear. Mm. Right. And so much of what people say is just their own stuff. Yeah. Yes, totally. But I love, you know, your take on it. Like, it's just putting it into a different perspective. Like you say, like, nobody, nobody's gonna, like, in this sense, care whether you succeeded or not, or because yeah. we're like, you're totally right. Like, we're, we're more than 7 billion people. It's like, yeah, <laughs> there are people who have bigger problems in their life. Yeah. So, you know, and also, you know, I have to say, I, All that said, I was concerned about what my colleagues would say about me, mm -hmm. my freelancing colleagues, because, mm -hmm. you know, there's this thing. Okay, okay, they're the soloists, they're the teachers they're the people who are performing. And, you know, we've got our groove going. We're playing freelance gigs. I mean, listen, my colleagues are phenomenal players. Mm -hmm. They're they're not hacks. Um, and that's just sort of the role that we were in. And I was worried that they might look at me and say, oh, who the who the hell does she think she is? And why does she think she's so good? She can do that. And um, I was worried it would seem almost like a betrayal. Like, oh, does she think she's better than us? Or we're not good enough for her. And mm. actually, it's it's. And then I told myself, oh, they're not even looking at me. They're not watching. They're not paying any attention to me anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Stop worrying about it. And actually, a lot of them were paying attention, and they did notice. And I've gotten nothing but support and emails from colleagues mm -hmm. saying, thank you so much, you've inspired me to, to, you know, put a concert together, or I really miss playing, and, and you know, I'm, I'm going to do some chamber music, or I'm going to do a solo recital, and, you know, I think what you're doing is really great, and it's, so it's, it's been really nice, actually. Yeah, this is sometimes like very loved. The, the funny, ironic twist to, to you know, our thinking. Like when we think like people, uh, people will think, I don't know, I'm crazy or people will, like you say, like think, oh, is she better than me or criticize you? And in the end, you know, it's the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's really like, I feel like so many people are really just waiting for this one person to show them that like, hey, listen, you know, like you said, just go do it and, you know, believe in yourself and, you know, take those steps. Yeah. To see that, I, damn, I can do it. You know, it's possible. Why am I like breaking myself? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think what it showed me was that I wasn't alone mm. in this feeling of, of wanting to do more and to, to various extents, you know, some people said, Oh, you know, I, they've emailed me or written me and they say, you know, I, I get too, uh, too nervous 
you know, I really struggle with stage fright, mm. but I do miss playing that repertoire. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go play at a hospital, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to, I'm going to go play and left less sort of threatening, mm-hmm. uh, venues and, um, and environments. And so they're doing things like that. So, um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of people out there who want to do something different and there's a lot of fear. And I think a lot of that fear stems from what will people think, Hmm. you know, that we fear that people have expectations of us and we have to live up to them, Hmm. that we might disappoint them if we go against what we're doing, that they'll think we're an idiot for leaving that great corporate job that we Hmm. studied so hard for in college and, you know, did all the internships did all the right things. And we landed that dream yeah. job and why would we ever give it up and, you know, do what you want, do what you want. I love that. And so actually before we continue, I'm so curious, like what made you, you know, what made you choose the cello? Like what does this instrument mean to you or what does it represent oh. for you? Well, aside from just having a crush on a boy who played it when yeah. I was five, uh, um, I don't really know. I mean, I they say that the, the cello, the range of the cello, mm-hmm. its highest notes to its lowest notes, most closely resembles that of the human voice. Oh, okay. So I think maybe I really relate to it on a sort of physical, vibrational level. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's the only instrument that I really love the sound of ironically I mean because I I chose it for stupid reasons when I was a five-year-old and didn't know any better and I didn't know what picking that instrument meant I just I don't know maybe I like the song he played better um but I don't I don't love the sound of the violin I don't love the sound of the clarinet um I mean I can't stand the sound of the flute but that's just me (laughs) (laughs) That becomes a little bit problematic when you're playing an orchestra, I imagine. (laughs) One of my best friends is a flute player and she, she knows, she understands. I love her. I did not, not her (laughs) instrument. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, no, I, I just really love the sound of the cello and as much of a pain in the butt as it is to travel with it and deal with airlines. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I can't imagine life without it. It's fun to imagine life without it in a weird way. <laughs> like if I suddenly couldn't play anymore, you know, what what, what would that mean? Know, it would mean so much freedom. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, that sounds so no, I horrible. Know it sounds terrible. It sounds so horrible, but you know, as a you know, as a professional cellist, you you have to practice a lot yeah. every day and it's nonstop and it's um you know, it would be like if you were told you had to do, uh, you know, football drills for four hours every day, and then suddenly you didn't have to do them anymore. Like that would seem really free, but yeah. it would also mean you couldn't play the sport anymore. Yeah. Um, so that that part would be sad, but uh, yeah. And how do you make sure that you know actually, th- let's say the the um, the intensity of, of practice that it takes or the hours of practice that it takes, that it doesn't get, you know, the best of the passion that you have for the music and for the instrument. So, you know, that it doesn't get to a point where you're just like, ugh, I can't, like, I can't stand it anymore. Oh, that's, that's a daily thing. Um, no, you just have to... How do you maintain you that fun? You have to fun? expect it because it's the ends to the means. Means to the end. Yeah, means yeah. to the end. <laughs> All right, dyslexia strikes again. Um, 
Yeah, it's just part of it. It's with any job, there's there's some aspect that's not fun to do, right? Like you love to you love to have a podcast, but you don't really love editing it. Mm. Right. You don't like there might be some process of, of yeah. every job that you do that you don't. You you're you love photography, but you don't love having to call them and Photoshop or whatever. I mean, there's so that's just the thing. I love performing. I love learning music. I love getting to know music. Mm-hmm. I love thinking about it. Um, I don't necessarily love drilling a passage for hours over the course of a year, you know, <laughs> but nobody would, nobody would. It's just not fun. It's the dirty part of the job. Yeah. And so if we go back to, you know, your journey, so you, you, you left and went to Bermuda and, um, mm-hmm. how long has it taken you, you know, to get to this level where you can now collaborate with some of the like most esteemed conductors? Um, like what well, was that? that part of your journey like well that was um that was partly from from my school days from my training because I went to some really amazing schools in the New World Symphony and I had those opportunities so I I know those people and I knew them and you know I'm still still chugging away and getting more opportunities and more opportunities but yeah the the feeling of playing at each higher level, it's, it's a great feeling. It's a really great feeling. So it's been two and a half seasons now, right? The season in, in the music world runs from the fall until early summer. Okay. So, and so when I, year. so I'm right. So I moved to Bermuda in September and then didn't start playing concerts until that spring. So I had a few concerts that spring and then a lot of concerts the next season and a lot of concerts this past season. And um, yeah, it's nice that it gets easier and I get more opportunities and mm-hmm. bigger presenters and bigger venues each each time. It's all exciting, but as I said, it's hard work, um, yeah. but it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. What do you think were some of, you know, some of the things that you think really, you know, contributed to to your let's say success or to your growth in in my opinion it's like quite a short time like two and a half seasons I mean at least to me like a, you know someone yeah. who doesn't know anything about the industry it doesn't seem like a very long time to get to that level uh persistence determination uh I mean you don't want to be not persistence in that I keep emailing the same person over and over again but mm-hmm. persistence in that I will work for it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, part of, I, I spend my mornings practicing and then I spend some time every afternoon working on the career part yeah. of it, quote unquote, um, you know, um, emailing presenters, dealing with contracts and mm-hmm. invoices and publicity stuff. And so you just do a little bit every day and it adds up, starts to snowball. And do you think, having had or having had the ability uh, or opportunity to you know um yeah actually visit those you know high ranked or um very uh, how do i say that yeah high ranked like schools musical ed- uh, institutions has been like um a good 
basically investment into making it work or something that has helped you out a lot? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the people that I met there are some of my biggest supporters and, um, I think you can do it without that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think you have to, as I said, you have to find that training at some point. Mm. I had that training when I was, you know, 18 to 25. Um, if I decided now mm -hmm. that I wanted to be a professional cellist, it would be a lot harder, but I wouldn't say it's impossible. But what I would do is I would go seek out one of those top cello teachers mm -hmm. and beg for lessons and, mm. you know, make it work. Somebody's going to say yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, yeah. Eventually, you will find somebody. This is true. Like yeah. sometimes we, yeah. If if we already anticipate that you know the answer will be no, and you just don't ask, well, the answer will be mm -hmm. no, right? But like you said, if you stay, yeah, persist. That's something that I, something that I I took on. I don't know where I heard it, but uh, the phrase "assume the yes." Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, when you when you're about to make a really scary phone call or send an email or ask ask somebody something that feels huge to you and you, you keep thinking, Oh, they're going to say, no, they're going to say, no, they're going to say no. If you say, okay, well, if you approach it, like you assume they're going to say yes, yeah. it changes the whole conversation mm. because it, it goes from a conversation where you're asking them to do something for you. Mm -hmm. And it turns it into a conversation where you're offering them something mm -hmm. and they're going to say, yes, thank you. It's also like switching it a little bit from this, let's say, neediness, like I need something from you, like you mentioned, to like, uh -huh. pro like providing value for them, right? Like offering Absolutely. Value. Yeah. I'm asking them to give me a, a concert date, but really I'm offering to play a concert for their audience mm. at the same time. So it depends on how you think of it in your own mind mm -hmm. and it gives you that it gives you confidence and it just puts it in a nicer light you approach I, I find that I approach these conversations differently yeah totally that's a good tip um and what would you say have been like some of the the biggest struggles for you like in in those two and a half seasons where you were climbing your way up like both professionally and also maybe personally if like fears mm -hmm. or doubts internal you know battles What were some sure. of the biggest things that, you know, you had to overcome to be able to, to, to get to that level? Yeah, I think those, um, as you said, the fears and the doubts are, they're unavoidable to a certain extent. We all as human beings mm -hmm. have those creep up from time to time. The biggest challenges for me were, You know, you have weeks where, where doors seem to be flying open with new opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then you have weeks where nobody's returning your emails or your phone calls or something bad happens or I, you get a disappointing whatever. And then you start to think, not am I good enough, but is this worth it? Mm. Is it appreciated? Should I be doing this? It's so much work. I could go back to having a nice, easy life. Um, but in the end, you have to think about which things bring you satisfaction. Mm 
mm-hmm. and how much that is worth to you. I think it's always worth it in the end. Just you have to get through those bumps, mm-hmm. right? They happen for everybody. It's easy to keep going down this path when when everything's easy and nice and everybody's saying yes and yeah. um, that's great. You know, you're getting good reviews and positive feedback. It's it's when you hit a bump and you make that decision of am I going to keep going or am I going to stop? Hmm. And you just have to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I, sometimes I wish for myself like it would be like this easy, right? It's simple. It's simple. But the simplest things in life, I feel like, are the most difficult ones. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's like you say, that's where you have to, you know, push through and uh, just take the next tiny step. Exactly. Exactly. Just one one more step forward will get you out of the out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. And so what like what would you say is the music industry like? Because I imagine it to be like very competitive, you know, also with mm-hmm. um with it being really like always um evaluated or cr- criticized or there are those those people who who give their critiques, their opinions, their reviews. So, and I can imagine that, you know, being in such an environment like maybe you come to that environment already with some um you know self-doubts like i'm not good enough but i can imagine that like being in such an environment you know amplifies those feelings like oh yeah can you share a little bit with us you know what what the industry is like and what are some you know some of the worries or fears that you got from being in there maybe Well, it's uh, it's competitive for sure. I mean, there are more great players than there are concerts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there's something for everybody. There are different levels. Everybody sort of finds their niche. Um, and it's amongst the musicians, we're all really supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. I would say I've never encountered somebody being really sort of cutthroat and nasty mm-hmm. towards me. Um, I think we all cheer each other on and, and our friends, you know, my best friends are all in the classical music world. Mm. It's, um, in terms of the pressure, the pressure comes from, of course, the business side of it, Mm -hmm. the presenters who are trying to sell tickets Mm. and make a profit and, uh, the managers who are need to pay their bills and that's Mm -hmm. their job is to promote you and, um, So they want you doing as many concerts as possible because that's their livelihood. They have to pay their staff. I mean, I don't think anybody's um, malicious. It's just the facts of life. When it's a business, Mm -hmm. people need to to make an income. So I think those things get difficult. Um, I'm navigating this right now uh, as a self-managed musician. So I don't have a manager. Mm -hmm. I'm booking my own concerts. And we'll see how sustainable that is. Mm -hmm. Um, The classical music world is an old school world. I mean, they have their rules. It's been done the same way for a really long time. The route is that you go to conservatories and you study with certain people and you win certain competitions and Mm -hmm. then you get signed by certain managers and then you do this particular concert circuit and these festivals and, and that's just the way it goes. And I think that with the 
with the arrival of social media and the ability for people to make their own websites mm-hmm. and create their own presence online and to reach an audience, not just in the concert hall, mm-hmm. they can reach an audience on their own. I think that's changed the, the, the landscape. Um, and so I'm kind of trying to find my way through, through mm-hmm. that and carve my own path. Cause I'm certainly not, you know, I didn't, I didn't go off and win the Tchaikovsky competition and I didn't even do the Tchaikovsky competition. And, you know, so, um, uh, so yeah, it I'm seems going like it is not way. necessary to be like successful. Like, I well, don't know about that competition. We'll see. But... we'll see because there are, at least right now, I mean, there are certain concerts that I can't access. There yeah. are certain presenters that won't even mm. look at my stuff without, they only deal with managers. Okay. Um, but who knows how that might change mm-hmm. in the next few years. And I'm not terribly worried about that. That's that's the future. I try to just focus on what can I do today to get myself one step closer mm. or to what do, just what do I want to do today? Mm. You know, it's like Let's do it that way. And that's sometimes but I, w- I want to say sometimes, but really, I think the uh, the biggest um let's say power that we get is by li- really living like in the now, in the present moment. Instead Absolutely. of anticipating, worrying, or, you know, creating those stories about what will happen or not, or <laughs> what is. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I, I try to remind myself uh, that if that bad thing happens, I'll be plenty worried about it then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't need to preemptively worry about it Yeah. Because then if it doesn't happen, I will have wasted all this t- precious time exactly. worrying about something that never happened. So, yeah, definitely trying to stay in the now and just trying to think. I like to plan. I'm a big planner. I have a, a whole huge calendar of the whole year on my wall yeah. so I can plan out concerts mm-hmm. and everything. Um, but I try, even though I'm looking at the, the year mm-hmm. in advance, I try to really think about like just – What do I need to do today? Mm. What are the important things I need to take care of today? Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, next week I need to do that or in a month I need to do that. It's, it's there, concerts booked. Mm-hmm. Today I need to practice this piece, mm. right? Maybe I need to practice this piece because I have to perform it in a month, but I don't need to think about the performance right now. Yeah. I just need to think I just need to practice this piece. Mm. That's what I have to do today. I love that. Helps. And what would you – or like – I, I can imagine that also, I mean, for everybody who has already gone to a concert, r- regardless whether it's like classical music or, you know, a pop concert, whatever, everybody goes there with certain expectations, right? And so for classical mm-hmm. music, I imagine that, you know, also the pressure is uh, probably a lot also around this topic of perfection, Like it has to sound, you know, you can't really make mistakes because you will probably hear it. Like if somebody, if somebody yeah. plays a little bit off tune or something like that. And so how do you deal with this, with this idea around perfection or this expectation around perfection? Oh, It is more and more an issue because people are used to hearing recordings, mm. right, that have been edited. And so they're used to hear when they hear a piece, they've heard the recording a hundred times. They've only heard it 
totally flawless. Yeah. Right. Because all of the mistakes that might have happened in the recording of it have been edited out. And um, and that's the beauty of a live performance. I mean, yes, we're going for flawless technique and a, mm-hmm. and, and a certain level of perfection. That's why you practice so much. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't want to say that, oh, it's OK to just mess up and and screw things up. That's not the case. But, you know, I the past couple of years I've gone to more and more performances of, of really great artists um, just cause I've had more time in my schedule and, and they're not flawless. Mm. Even the greats, I mean, they're flawless in that they're flawless musically and flawless enjoyment of the, of the moment. And I, um, at no point ever thought, Oh, they missed that. Oh, they, mm. oh, that wasn't very good. But was it a technically flawless performance? No, not a single time. Not, mm-hmm. No one. Because it's a live performance. Yeah. You know, it's, if you're really taking risks musically, something might go wrong. And, you know, we're humans. Yeah. So would you say, like, um, it has helped you, like, see other people, let's say, not, let's not call it make mistakes, but, like, you know, not, let's say, um, aspire or, you know, do the perfection thing themselves, like just ad- see other people, you know, being okay with it. And, um, also you not caring so much about it, maybe when you're listening to them. I think that the, the fear of making a mistake really should be that, that mistake, that missed note or something will take away from the composer's intention of the music, mm-hmm. right? It'll, it'll take the listener out of the moment musically. Mm-hmm. Now, if that mistake, mm-hmm. whatever happens, if it doesn't take the listener out of the, out of the moment, mm-hmm. then does it really matter? Mm. Right. If it did, if it made them stop and think, Oh, yikes. Okay. What mm-hmm. happened there? Then yeah, that's a problem. But if it was just a, a human slip, but it <laughs> was, if it was just a hiccup, but it, but it kept you in the moment and you yeah. were enjoying it, you were going with the music of it, then it's fine. <laughs> and it's also just something interesting that we, we set out for ourselves. Wouldn't it? We all strive for perfection, right? Runners keep trying to run faster marathon and longer distances. And, you know, they do a triathlon and then they do an Ironman and then they do <laughs> I have a friend who did three Ironman triathlons in the last year. Um, You know, people are always trying to outdo themselves and set a record. And I think that's what we do as, as performers, as musicians, that we're trying to make it flawless. We're trying to see if we can be the one who can play that Mm. without ever making a mistake. It's, um, it's just something to aspire to something to work for. But I love what you just mentioned. Like, I think it, it's important maybe to to notice that, you know, for me, if you set a higher bar, it's not necessarily perfection because I'm a total, like, uh, let's say enemy of this, of this perfection ideal, because if, to me, it's like, what is perfect? There is no perfect. Like you will ask 7 There's billion no people thing. and you will get 7 billion different responses about, you know, perfectionism mm-hmm. in beauty and sports and music and whatever. And so um setting a, a certain bar for you like i want to reach that level or i want to you know run those fi- 15 triathlons if you want 
or Ironmans. That's like uh, a new challenge. Yeah, it's just something, it's an ideal to, to just set up there and keeps you working. It keeps you progressing as a human. Mm -hmm. And as long as you don't get unhealthy or obsessive about it, yeah. I, I think it's perfectly fine to, and then you have to, you have to learn to love and appreciate the imperfect yeah. while you're there. So, you know, after, uh, after any performance, I try to just appreciate what happened and enjoy it, enjoy the venue, enjoy the audience um, that I was playing for and the energy that was there mm -hmm. and just not think negatively at all in that moment and just enjoy the whole experience for what it was. Yeah. And then, you know, when I'm back in the practice studio and working on that piece again, I might say, Oh, okay. I want to, want to fix that spot a little bit, or mm. I want to do this differently this time or phrase this differently. Then, then you go back to work and that's fine. Mm -hmm. You try to make it even better. Yeah. But, um, You know, it's the people who walk off stage and throw things and say, that was terrible. I can't believe it. You know, that's, and I think they're not very happy it, people. It's also like, if, if I imagine for me to be a, a musician or artist there, <clears throat> and also with, like, with the critics coming back to that, it's like, the people who are mostly criticizing or throwing things, it's like, they probably don't even know how to play an instrument. <laughs> or sing or you know it's it's like when you watch a soccer game like I, I played soccer and so you always have the the audience there and everybody knows better how to do how to do it where the where the ball should have been passed to etc 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 but then you look at them and they're like overweight old men <laughs> who probably don't even play right, soccer exactly. but they're the ones who are screaming the loudest and critiquing the loudest and then you're just like sometimes yeah. we just have to look at like okay who who is that person actually who's giving me this kind of you know feedback right exactly you have to you have to consider the source as they say <laughs> yeah and so uh, another thing that i found very curious so you moved to to Bermudas and it's not like the mm -hmm. typical place where you know you would probably move no no it's not the typical place yeah so it's a little bit let's say exotic or interesting and so mm -hmm. um did you I mean first of all did you have any fears like doing this move especially since it's not like the center of classical music <laughs> in any kind no, of way no not by any stretch of the imagination um That it would affect no. your career or, you know, how has it actually impacted your life? Uh, well, I certainly don't get called for last minute things, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if, if somebody gets sick in New York or Boston, they need a cellist to play that night. I'm not mm -hmm. going to get that call. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to get there in time. So in terms of that, you know, maybe I'm sure there have been missed opportunities. But, you know, in going through this transition and, and sort of, edging away from the freelance existence and going towards more of a, a solo performance career. I knew that, um, at least for myself, because mm -hmm. I tend to say yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew that if I stayed in Boston, mm -hmm. I would just keep saying yes to the same mm -hmm. freelance opportunities and I would never give myself the space and the time and really the necessity to, to change paths. Mm. And I knew that if I, transported myself onto this tiny little island. It's the second most isolated landmass in the entire world. Mm. It's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It's not close to anything. 
um, that I knew that I would be forced to figure it out Mm. and that I would have the time and the space to, um, I love interior design. I love gardening. And I knew that I was going to set up this house and I Mm -hmm. was going to start a garden and I was going to do things that sort of would feed my creative soul as I figured out this new career change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it became very clear to me that it was the best possible scenario for me. Mm. It was a, it was a huge gift that I was able to move here, that my husband had a good job. Um, uh, and you know, not so good a job that I didn't have to figure it out. It's not like I could just sit Mm -hmm. here and be a nice housewife. Um, lucky for me because I would love that. (laughs) It (laughs) it would be very easy for me to do. Um, sure, honey. I'll be, um, (laughs) I'll be at the beach. But I knew, I knew I was, yeah, I knew I was going to have to get work. I knew I was going to have to, to make some money and get some concerts going and contribute to the household. Um, but I was, uh, yeah, I was given sort of that that space and the leeway to to do that. I don't think I could have done it if I had stayed in the states mm. or well, stayed at a big city. I should say, could have yeah. gone to some rural town, and that would have been nice. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's been great, and I love it. And like I said, it's a ninety minute flight from Boston, so oh, that's really true. Um, and from yeah, it's less than two hours to New York, and um, close to Miami. It's mm-hmm. close to all the major cities on the eastern coast. So. Uh, it's very easy to get back and forth. So I do, I do travel a lot. I spend a lot of time on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. So, um, as we come to the end, you know, I always like to hear like, if, if you have like, let's say one message, if you, if you could share one message with all the people who are listening with all the women out there, maybe it's for the artists, for everybody. Um, what would you share with them? What would you like them to know? I think a, a, a two-sided thing. I think the world is really changing quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came out of college, university years, there were very clear career paths. Mm-hmm. You did this, you did A, you did B, you did C. And now with the gig economy and more and more people working for themselves and entrepreneurship growing and growing, I think there's a lot more room for people to get creative with their careers um, and to figure out what kind of life they want to have. You can really, you could make your life whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And because those doors are opening up for us, I think we should take advantage of it. It's worth it to yourself to really figure out what makes your heart sing, what would make your life just feel like you're so lucky to be living it, and go for it. Mm. Beautiful. And if tomorrow would be your last day and, you know, you could pass on three, let's say, nuggets of wisdom, I call it, to your six-year-old self about life, Mm -hmm. about, you know, how to go through life, some pieces of wisdom, like what would those three things be? I would say take your art seriously, Mm -hmm. but don't take yourself seriously Mm -hmm. and surround yourself with good people. Mm. Always. You can get through anything in life. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can get through anything in life if you if you're surrounded by good people. I love yeah. that. So, you know, where can people follow you or get to know about your upcoming concerts? Oh, so my um, concert listings are all on my website, which mm -hmm. is kkin.com. Mm -hmm. And Instagram, it's k, first initial, kkin. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. And yeah, I'd love to connect. Yeah, and... I especially I, love people. I love playing for people who have never been to a concert before. I love that. Mm. Love it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I can imagine what, what that must feel like, but like you, you open, like, it's like opening a whole new world to people. I imagine it's like giving them the special gift. Yes. Well, I love it that they, they usually tend to feel terrified and insecure and like they have no idea what's going to happen. And I like putting them at ease and showing them that it's just music. You can like <laughs> it. You can not like it. It's okay. Nobody's going to bite. And uh, you can clap whenever you feel like it. And it's, uh, yeah. Perfect. So why don't we go ahead and give people a taste of what your music actually sounds like? What do you think about that? Great. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So thank you, Kate. So before we play your song, like, I just want to say thank you so much for being here with us today. I really loved, you know, hearing about your story and how you managed to, you know, grow and get to this level and really create the life that you, you know, love because this is what it's all about. Aww. So thank you so much for sharing your story. And um, I'm sure that everybody got a lot of, you know, learnings and um, reflections for themselves out of that. Oh, thank you, Olga. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much. So let's tune in into an excerpt from her debut CD called The French Cello. I hope you enjoy it all.
Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends, and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrivepodcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive.